21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Hi, uh, Martin. Uh, glad to be on the show. So basically, we think at Crossek that there's a difference uh, that could be made in a cybersecurity landscape, and it is the following. For the last 40 years, every business or so, every government, every institution acted as if they were a super soldier. You know, with like super armor, super power, laser eyes and so on. They were investing hundreds of millions of dollars in their cybersecurity and they ended up being compromised. They lost secrets, they leaked data, they were ransom, everything. So how can you fight with like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of euros in budget against an army of hackers if you're alone? And this is the last 40 years security stance by default. Now, what CrowdSec brings at the table is to say the following. If you need to beat an army, and trust me, in front of us is standing an army of cyber criminals, you need a bigger army. That proves essentially true for the last 3,000 years and efficient. So what CrowdSec is building is an online army because we outnumber cyber criminal 10,000 to one. Okay, can you give us an overview of your journey to that point? Was it overnight or was it the, the organic growth, the, the whole process? Absolutely messy. Actually, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur as of 16. Uh, I told my parents, okay, I, I want to be my own boss. I don't feel like, you know, working for someone else. I think we have 5% of the population that feels like this, you know. Mother Nature made it so because if everybody wants to be a leader back in the days where we we're barely apes, the whole group would die. And if nobody would be a leader, the whole group would die. So Mother Nature feels like 5% of leader is good and if not too much, and you didn't need more than that. So when you're part of those, you know it very early on. For me, it was 16. So I told my parents I want to create a company. They told me the only thing that good parents can tell you is finish your study first, um, which I did. Uh, engineering, cyber uh, not cybersecurity by then, but network security system admins and stuff like that. And I started to work a bit for a bank while I was studying. Didn't find it super interesting, but hey, you know, good money. And I started my first company out of school right away, uh, pen testing, red team. So, you know, we had contract and the clients were like, can you breach into my company? And if so, how? Well, the success rate was around 99%. Not that we were good at what we did, maybe we were, but cybersecurity by then was a joke, right? People were just not ready. So basically everything was open, open, wide open. Um, Later on, we decided we would be something more stable, not just service oriented, because you know, when you sell service, basically every day you're hunting for your meal. So we wanted to have some kind of recurring revenues. And what we started is like a high security defensive uh, um, uh, hosting environment. So people would bring us the servers and their websites and their apps so that they were defending against cyber criminals. And at some point, my associates, 
uh, decided that they want to sell the company. I was against it, but hey, I was not, I didn't have the majority of the shares, so I had to comply. I left the company after and created this new venture, uh, this new adventure, which is Quartec. Just for the context, entrepreneur in Europe versus USA. Are there any differences? What are the similarities, the differences? Where do you think you would have a better treatment in France or in the USA or today? That's not important anymore. Well, that's a good question. I mean, the thing evolved so sharply over the last 10 years so that we had no seed uh, uh, venture capitalists in Europe or in France, at least, you know, 10 years back, you would go looking for seed and there was no seed money at all. You know, there were no seed VCs. Nowadays, there are seed VCs and the guys are investing in early stage companies. So this landscape changed a lot. You don't raise as much in Europe as you do in the US, but you raise as much in France as you do in Germany or UK or whatever. The second point I would highlight as a difference is uh, we've got very good access to extremely well-trained workforce. So uh, for R&D, it's a blessing because we have good guys and also good sponsorship, yes, from the government, subsidies and all. So it's fairly cool. Now, if you ask me about sales and marketing and specifically marketing, U.S. is godlike. Still, yes, yeah, still number one. Mm. I mean, they, they understand everything. The, the, the people in the street, the, the next door guy or girl, they understand economy. They understand, you know, simplicity. They understand marketing. And when you come into the U.S. with your French mindset, the guys are like, what? It's too complicated. It's over-engineered. What is the value? Just give me the value. I don't need all the blah, blah, blah. I just need the value. Five words. It's not an elevator pitch. People think like with an elevator pitch, you will survive in the US. Bullshit. You don't survive with an elevator pitch. You, f you survive with five words, whatever you're doing. And if you're in B2C, it's easier. If you're into, in B2B, it's harder. But it should never be more complicated than buying a smoke detector at Walmart, period. It's a, it's a lesson. It's a school. And for example, irresistible offer, the whole sales funnel, Animation, recruitment, uh, how to put momentum in the relationship with the client instead of just waiting and be quiet and nice and so on. How to slick down the POC to the, the proof of concept, sorry, to the very strict bare minimum. And I think there are no other ground in the world than US for that, to learn that trade. Uh, UK is a good place as well because there are a lot of early adopters. Uh, but U.S. is a, is a king landing for everything cybersecurity anyway. And what was your learning process then as you, as you understand all those aspects of business? Yeah, well, actually, I learned from very good guys and very cool guys in the U.S., uh, the team that founded Magento. Magento is like an e-commerce software, an e-commerce platform. It's been sold several times. Last time was to Adobe, so it's Adobe Commerce now. Basically, long story short, the guys were really geniuses, two Israeli guys living in the U.S. They created a company thinking there is a hole in the market for open source software that would be great at creating an e-commerce shop. And um, I decided I would follow on this uh, open source initiative, and I decided to create the uh, French ecosystem, the French uh, um, uh, everything. So the trade show, uh, the blog, uh, you know, the meetups and so on. And it, the community, you know, the ecosystem clicked up and geared up very quickly. And I saw how the Americans were thinking to business. They knew the attraction. Now they had to convert it as soon as possible to money. There was no question here. 
We would oppose on some of the choices they made, but nevertheless they were done and we had to comply with them. And in the end, they were right. They sold this company a ton of money and, um, and that was the right move to do. So I learned a lot from them, uh, this kind of very realistic way of doing business. Like find a vertical, find a use case, apply to it, nail it, make it an example and go uh, sideways to other businesses. Just don't try to answer any problem and to solve every vertical problem. And how do you communicate with uh, customers from Europe? Is it the same as for the US-based customers, or do you actually need to change uh, something? Yeah, it's, it's pretty different, I'd say. France, for example, we like this kind of brawling thing. So you have to prove yourself, you have to have a very strong structure in the, in the way you explain and storytell your product, and the guy would oppose, and at some point someone would offer a rendition and say, okay, you're good, we're gonna try you, blah, 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 blah. In the US, what I found as a, a lesson is it's more an exchange. It's a dance, it's a tango. You move, I move, you move, I move. And if you don't stop talking constantly, I'm just stop listening to you, period. You don't dance with me, you're just trying to hammer me. And that's a really strong difference I find culturally speaking. How do you succeed for all those entrepreneurs, uh, US-based entrepreneurs that want to make business with France? Okay, probably the, the first suggestion would be find a local market company too, <laughs> probably. Well, France is a market that is uh, interesting in the sense that people are, are sticky. Uh, you know, if they trust you, they, they can stay with you for 15 years. It actually happened to me in business. Like really, if you made your proof, they would stay with you. Now, convincing them could be longer, harder. Don't lose hope. Closing a contract in France is usually eight to nine to 10 months, where in the US it's rather around four to six maximum. And sometimes you will not hear from the client. It's not that they don't like you, it's just they are highly unorganized and their priority change or switch or whatever. And it's not that they are you know, upset at you or whatever, it's just like they are busy. But it's good for retention far less churn. Um, the highest churn market to me is UK. They adopt you tomorrow, they, they quit you the day after. You know, I'm sure dating apps are super efficient in London. And let's go back to CrowdSec. Uh, so how does uh, the beehive approach employed by, by, by your company differ from traditional cybersecurity strategies? And what benefits does uh, this offer? It's fairly comparable to GPS world, right? I'm just going to go this way, this route and be back to the topic. But GPS, you know, before Waze, there was something like um, classical maps or GPS of your car, and they would just tell you the road, nothing more about it. Like they wouldn't tell the state of the road. They wouldn't tell you if there's an accident, a speed trap, whatever. Um, now, Waze came in saying, okay, we just need three things from you. Your speed, your heading, your position. Based on that, 
we can calculate, we can compute if there's a slowdown ahead, if there's a problem. And if you want, as a user, you can interact with the GPS and say, okay, I've got a problem here uh, and we'll consider this. CrowdSec is more or less the same, but just on the highways of the internet. So basically, everybody is protected by our software, and the one using the software are reporting every time they block an attack. So the software is blocking the attack, but on top of that, it's telling this IP address, attack this machine trying to do that. So that can be, for example, he tried to guess my password. He scanned me. He tried to scalp my products. He tried to guess VOIP numbers, whatever. Once the behavior is seen, it's blocked, and, and uh, each settlement says, okay, I've seen this IP doing this. Ah, you too, me too. Yeah, me too. And if we have enough people in the network saying this, it's obviously automated, right? But if you have enough people in the network saying this, saying the same thing, well, you know, if everybody says I'm drinking too much, I'm probably drinking too much. If just one person that doesn't like me says I'm drinking too much, he's probably a liar. So long story short, we take the majority opinion. There has to be a consensus of enough people telling this IP address is bad and dangerous, and then we block it at the scale of the network on tens of thousands of machines worldwide. And everybody subscribed to our data feed can block this IP address because he knows currently it's being used by a cyber criminal. Mm. So you have IP sharing network, you have tens of thousands of machines uh, participating, and you say consensus between people. What kind of people? So what kind of organizations or individuals can benefit from CrowdSec uh, services and how they can join network? The, the software, the core software is free and open source, right? So you don't need to spend a dime for that. Uh, you can use it using Debian. You can go on GitHub. You can use Package Cloud, where we have 1.2 thousand uh, different packages for Windows, Linux, BSD. You know, it's very versatile. So this thing is running. It's doing its job, and you don't have to pay nothing for that, right? Now, what happens is if you want to, to manage large cohorts of machines, like I'd say a, a thousand, you probably want to have tools to oversee everything. You probably to want to have data retention over a year. You probably have to want to have custom scenarios or custom block lists. All of this is premium. But as a basic point, as a starting point, the whole product suit is free. And this is where people have to understand that open source is a trade, right? So many people go in open source for the wrong reason. They are thinking like, it's going to make me good communication, good image, good whatever. Open source, my friend, and I can tell you this frankly because I'm an open source editor, right? Open source is about an exchange. It's a flux. I give you something, you give me something. And this is how you establish trust. It's not the open source like 30 years back where everybody had to be a monk, go into the forest, eat on edible moss or whatever, and earn nothing out of their trade. That's bullshit, right? And I, that actually hurted a lot, the, the open source movement. Those guys are super skilled. I need to pay them, right? So it's a trade. I offer you a great software and in return you offer me the signals and everybody is better protected and I can sell those signals to other companies that want to buy them. That's how you establish a fair relationship in between you, your contributors, your users and your clients.
And what about AI? About open source is really the main mistake was this um, thinking that you can use a product for free. And there is nothing like a Frederick, right? So when people were using OpenSSL forever, thinking, wow, that's magic. Let's integrate this in Oracle. Let's integrate this in AWS. Let's integrate it everywhere in banks and everything. And then one day there's a, a security vulnerability. And everybody is like, what? What did these developers do? They are irresponsible people. Guys, at which moment did you pay them for that trade? At which moment did you think like, okay, I'm using a great component, maybe I should pay for that, right? No, you never even touched your neurons. And now you're jumping on the back of someone that is probably doing this from Kansas City or wherever for free, just on his free time. Okay, so now it's time for me to professionalize open source. So sometimes I'm asked like, where do you see open source in 30 years from now? Well, we are on Mars for God's sake. What do you want open source to be? The rovers are using open source components. Every single, every single product, whether it's proprietary or open source, is using open source libraries. iOS is using open source libraries. Linux, obviously, Windows is using it. So it's everywhere, it's pervasive. Now, the problem we have is it's not structured properly. Yes, I'm hiring super good experts that I pay a ton lot money. That's normal. And I need to pay them, right? And people need to enter this relationship that is fair trade in open source. And for that, I need to find a model that is smart enough so VCs can found me, I can do my R&D, I can pay my guys, and people can benefit from an open source and eventually free product, which is not the same. But here in this case, in CrowdTech, it's both open source and free. So I think the critical component here is really about establishing a fair trade relation. You get something, I get something. Everybody knows that I'm sustainable because I earn money. I can pay good professionals to maintain the software. You can build on it for the next 20 years. We're worth $20 million, euros actually. So, you know, we're here to stay. It's not a problem. Now, would VCs pay me or actually lend me 20 million euros if I had not a sound plan to make money? No. So I need to make revenues. Well, I need to get revenues. So whatever the open source model would be, and I'm really talking with my heart here because it's not, it's not a stance. It's not like a, I love open source, but it's not a stance. I don't care. I can use a proprietary product if it's superior to an open source product. But if you want to go the open source route, ask yourself this question. Why and what is a trade? What is a fair trade I'm establishing with my community so that those guys can trust me and that I can trust them? We have to have an exchange. Regarding the revenue, are you experience yourself as a serial entrepreneur? Are you thinking about exit strategy at some point? And the second part of the question, in addition to your work with CrowdSec, you've also contributed to the creation of several companies and have been 
a seed investor, etc. So, yeah. So on that point, and many of you can actually become investor in many different business. So the way I analyze my own business and any business is what we call backcasting. Usually, what you do forecasting. You know, you try to preview the future. So I'm going to get there tomorrow with that kind of money. I'm doing the exactly opposite thing. I'm saying, okay, CrowdSec needs to be a billion-dollar company. We want to sell this company a billion dollars. This is public, Martin. You can scream it on the roof. There's no problem. I'm not hiding anything here. So one day, Google, one day, I don't know, Cloudflare, Amazon, whomever will buy us because we will have the real-time map of all aggressive IP addresses over the internet. And that has a price, my friend. And it's going to be a billion dollars. Trust me. So now I know my objective. I know where I want to go. So I can draw a map from here to there. Because if you don't know where you want to land, there's no way you can plan how you want to go there, right? So when entrepreneurs come to me and say, okay, guys, uh, we do this and this and this, and the forecast is that. Huh? I don't care about your forecast, man. It's, it's wrong. It's false. It will be proven false by facts because you cannot possibly integrate every variables. Now, give me a reliable flight plan as to where you want to land. And I'm going to tell you which means you need to have. So CrowdSec is a built to sell company. Ever since day one, we thought, okay, we want to sell to those big players. Say, for example, I don't know, Palo Alto, right? What is Palo Alto buying? These kind of, of companies that are creating an asset, right? That are category leaders or category defiers that are using licenses. Okay, open source. Uh, what license are, are they using? MIT license, great. We can buy an MIT license. We don't buy Affero license or this type of license that has 300 different licenses, right? So you need to choose a license that's compatible with your target that will buy you in the end. You need to have contract that integrate every work contract, that integrate every uh, legal sentences uh, that are compatible with their own framework. You have to have subcontractors, internal organization, documentation, language, everything that is compatible with your target because you know where you want to land. So it makes your, your life so much more easier, right? So now if you go backward, and I, do, I, need to, I want to create an asset. I want to create a, a global network, right? So if I start selling my product, it's a huge break, right? It's, it's a huge friction because the first friction to adoption is money. Now think about it. If Waze would have cost $10 back in the days, it would never, never have become Waze, you know? It's because it's free that it's been adopted massively, right? It's because it's free that it was sold $970 million, mind you, to, to Google. So, sorry. So the point is, you need to think backward. I want that, and hence my product needs to be free. But in the meantime, I need to make money because I'm not going to live only on, on cherries from the garden. So I need to find a business model that is reliable. And if you define point A, point B, starting point, ending point, you can define the journey. You can define everything. You define who you need, what amount of money you need, what is your business model, everything. People, back casting is so much superior as thinking when you create a company to forecasting.
we discussed about this open source model and everything, but the, at the end of the day, what we want is to sell this company a lot. But what you get is a promise from us. We are the Robin Hood guys of this thing, because you know what? The failsafe is integrated in the license. Yes, we will sell this company a billion dollar, but it's a mighty license. Meaning if one day someone buying us decides to go very, very greedy and sell everything and switch everything to a paying model. Well, you know what, guys? Fork the product. Redirect all the signals to a new collecting point and create your own network. So what you know by using us is not only that this will survive us for the next 30 years, but on top of that, even though we are acquired, there's no risk that this thing goes already in the monetization model. Because a smart buyer will not buy the revenue, it will buy the real-time map of the rogue IPs over the internet. And this is why money is important, but not critical. Say tomorrow you start deploying a thousand machine and you decide not to pay me. It's not a problem because you are paying. You are paying me with signals. Your thousand machine will collect information about the aggressions they are facing. And this is worth money for me. Whether you pay directly in euros or you pay in signal is not a problem to me. Feel free to use the product for free. Feel free to pay and not share anything with the network. It's up to you. This is what I mean by having a sound strategy, a sound business model. Because if anything is left as a loophole, someone will exploit it. There's no loophole here. If you don't pay, it's not a problem. I love you too. And if you pay, I love you too. Not more, not less. If you want to find more, join the army because we are on a quest. It's not only about money. It's not about only breaching a $1 billion safe that is ahead of us. It's about making internet a safer place. It's about being safer together. It's about creating the internet neighborhood watch. Call it whatever you want, the ways of cybersecurity or the global immune system of the internet, as you want. We need you in the army because you'll be protected for free, right? Or you'll be protected because you pay, I don't care. But what we see in the figure, facts are that 35% of the IP addresses we block are unknown to the most classical CTI feeds over the internet. You think you're protected? Think twice. You're ignoring one third of the menace as we speak. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.